good, y'all. My name is Jonathan Dumas, and this is the Real Talk with Dumas podcast, where I have real conversations with the people I see every day because we don't know what we miss until we miss them. Happy Black Liberation Month, y'all. Uh, I love saying that every single time. Some of y'all know it as Black History Month. It's Black Liberation Month. We celebrate Black history every single day. But yo, I have another great episode for y'all, but there's some logistical stuff that I just want to touch on before I jump into it. Number one, episodes of the Real Talk with Dumas podcast will now drop weekly. Cue the applause. I don't I don't have applause sounds, so just imagine in your head. But if I did, it would be going crazy because I am so excited for this switch from going like bi-weekly to sometimes monthly. <laughs> but I it means more work on my part, but I am super geeked about the folks that are coming on the show. I cannot wait for you to meet them. They are dope, y'all. So number two, I need you to do me a quick solid. Stop what you're doing. Grab your phone. Go to Instagram. Type in the search section RTWD podcast and hit that follow button. That way you'll stay hip to when an episode drops, know what's going on with the show, get some dope resources for having conversations with friends and family and doing equity work, and you'll be able to connect with me about an episode that you listen to. And the biggest, most exciting news about this is that it's RTWD's birthday next month on March 17th. And I'm planning some things. I'm planning like some cool stuff. And I'm going to announce all of that stuff there. And that's where you're going to be able to find out. So you need to follow me on Instagram, RTWD Podcast. That's RTWD Podcast on Instagram. Go check it out. All right, now on to the guests. Part two of the conversation with Brandon. So as a quick refresher, part one, we talked labels and stereotypes. The ones that we want versus the ones that are placed on us and how we're both learning to unburden ourselves with the need to prove those things right or wrong. In this second part of my conversation would be, we talk more about labels and stereotypes, but we also talked about the emotional weight that comes with being someone we're not. We talk about anti-blackness and anti-blackness racism and society and that we both experienced and how we care for our mental health. And finally, we talk about being authentically black with a capital B in spaces that are not designed for us. Just a heads up, y'all, there's some strong language, so careful if you're listening with kids. This is a dope one, y'all. I'm really, really excited to share with you. I hope you enjoy it. All right, here's Brandon. You've met Reg, right? Yeah, you've met both. Uh, I think it's funny because Reggie has an RBF face. like, And Reg, if you're listening, it's 100% true. You got like a meme (laughs) mug all of the time. But like, even Reggie's like probably one of the most personable people ever like he's just like a super nice person but i've even seen for him like people are like intimidated by him because he's six five um and like athletic build just like relatively intimidating so like and his voice is so low that you wouldn't know like it would just seem so i I mean i i look at like the 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 pictures that are painted about like black men in particular um Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it's just tough because it's like subliminal, subliminal stuff that happens all the time. There was an instance, so I just somebody just shared this in um, our work, our work um, Slack this past week. It was basically um, five ways to stop your kid from behaving badly, and it was a black child. Like that's the picture that they chose, and so um, and so it wasn't the that person. It wasn't somebody from our job, our work. It was completely unrelated. But he was just sharing it. 
but he were they given like parental advice was, or were they showing it like oh this is this is look at how they you know do no this. it was it was um it was giving parental advice but the picture the default picture they used was a black child mm. and so what they so whoever the person that forwarded that he had reached out to them and said hey like just want to give you the perceptions of what this looks like and so instead of using a black child they removed the child children altogether and then just put it like an empty chair which was it symbolized yeah. like a a timeout or something like that you know what i'm saying but like sure. it's just like those little those little like it's not even nuances those subliminal messaging that is like passed around in media and marketing and and education and all the things that we see all the time that feed into like these labels and stereotypes that we kind of believe about black men um, as we get older. And I've read some things and um, they've asked this question of like, at what point does a black child stop being cute? Like what, at what point does a black kid stop being cute? Because I mean, a 10 or 12 year old, I mean, it was Trayvon Martin's birthday yesterday. You know what I'm saying? Like, and he would have yeah. been 26 years old. He was, how old was he? He was, tw- he was 12. I want yeah. He was 12, maybe yeah, 14. I mean, he was a kid. You know what I'm saying? Yo, so correction here. I want to make sure I honor the memory of Trayvon accurately. And so he was 17 years old when he was attacked and killed by George Zimmerman. And I'm not going to dive into the specifics of the case here. Honestly, it's traumatic. And if you don't know about the case, just educate yourself. Look it up. Um, some additional homework would be to look up the case surrounding Tamir Rice. While we're on the subject of kids, I want to talk about, you know, the adultification of black children. Honestly, it's nothing new. Actually added to the vilification of black children within American society. Just looking at one study, a 2014 study from UCLA, conducted by Dr. Philip Abita Goff and Dr. Matthew Christian Jackson, they found converging evidence that black boys are seen as older and less innocent and that they are prompt a less essential conception of childhood than do their white same age peers. In one part of the study, participants were shown photographs alongside descriptions of various crimes and asked to assess the age and innocence of white, black, and Latino boys ages 10 to 17. The participants overestimated the age of black boys by an average of four and a half years and found them more culpable than whites or Latinos, particularly when the boys were matched with serious crimes. Regarding young black girls, from an excerpt from her book, Hood Feminism, Mickey Kendall cites the 2017 report, Childhood Interrupted, the erasure of black girls' childhood out of Georgetown Law's Center on Poverty and Inequality found that all of the 325 adults in the study felt that black girls seemed older than white girls of the same age. It also found that respondents believed black girls needed less nurturing, protection, support, and comfort than white girls. Adults in the study with all backgrounds, 75% of them white, 62% of them women, saw black girls as more independent and more mature. They also assumed that black girls knew more about adult topics and sex. He was a he kid. Was a kid. Was and a kid. so like, yes, you know, we were, we were raised, I mean, I know, I've met your mom. She's a wonderful lady. Shout out Phoenix. And, um, <laughs> and you know, my mom like is a wonderful lady and, and raises to be well. Like if I met you, you know, mm-hmm. like just, just a personable, nice, great guy. But like, did somebody, a white person who, I would say a non-black person, even to some non-black people, there's just like this an internal thing that there's like this reaction of like fear. And you even use the word right. fear. Like you use the word fear earlier when you're, when you're even describing yourself of like, 
yeah, like people, they were just like, kids were scared of me because I was taller and bigger than them. It's like, um, exactly. what, what in us like triggers that, that fear? You know what I'm saying? There's, I mean, I've done nothing wrong to you. Like fear is triggered by a, it's a learned response. Like your body reacts that yeah. way because I don't want to experience this thing again. But like, I've never done anything to you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's just all these subliminal messagings that, that goes on and, and yeah, I'm just like more keen to them, keen to them now, but I also want to like, I feel like you have to like intentionally address them. Like it, it's like an intentional, it's just, it's just so, fr- it's just so frustrating to like experience that. Like at what point does a child stop being nice and sweet and cute? Cause I, I mean, I've gone on mission trips where folks look at these um, little color, bla- uh, little color babies. And then I'll, you know, when they get to a certain age, they're not cute anymore. They're dangerous. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. For me, they stop being cute once they become adults, yeah. because I don't think too many adults like being called yeah. cute. <laughs> um, but that's, but that's 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 just me being idealistic. Yeah. So the answer is ten. At the age of ten, black boys are no longer seen as innocent children. Going back to that UCLA study I mentioned earlier from Goff and Jackson, in one experiment, participants rated the innocence of people ranging from infants to 25 years old who were black white, or of an unidentified race. The participants judged children up to nine years old as equally innocent regarding, as equally innocent regardless of race. However, researchers found that the participants considered black children significantly less innocent than other children in every age group beginning at 10. Um, going back to kind of what you said about like, you know, it being frustrating to have to like, be in those spaces and see the fear on people's faces and then to, to think like oh all right man i have to i have to lay on the charm thick i have to I have to make sure they know i'm not a threat i have to you know show my smile and and help them with their bags or whatever and and, and i credited you i talked um with a member of my cohort earlier this week and told him i was doing this and i told him how i've seen you kind of evolve into becoming more and more unapologetic yeah. Um, in your in in your the way you live your life and especially in your blackness, um, you know, it's not our job to make people exactly feel comfortable. exactly. They you got to figure that out on yeah. your own. Whatever feelings my my presence behind you in the supermarket checkout line stirs up for you, you should probably take that home and kind of sit in it for a yeah. little bit. Maybe figure yeah. it out. Maybe even you know use your Google. Why am I afraid yeah. of black people? It might give you some I, good. No, answers. but for real. <laughs> For real, that's a good Google search, yo. Yep. Yeah, to a, to a certain extent, because I've I've kind of been wrestling with this in a in a separate kind of instance. But it is not the job of the perceived uh, threat to explain to the person who is not in any kind of kind of danger why why you should not be afraid yeah. of them or why or even to break down why you might be afraid. Yeah. Of them. That's not my job to. I don't owe you that yeah. explanation. Because I, I, I can't tell you. I didn't grow up in your house. I didn't learn the things you yep. learned. Having that knowledge, and for anybody who's listening who didn't, you know, who hasn't heard it spelled out to them before, it is not your job to make people feel comfortable with you while you're out living your own life, while you're out doing your own thing, especially, you know, people of color um, who are in predominantly white spaces or spaces of people who don't look like you and who think things about you that you have not put forth 
um, on your, it's not your job to make them comfortable with that. It's your job to live your life and do as you've probably been taught to do already in my own business. Yeah. And hopefully they will pick up from your example and do the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, that's very, very well said. I, yeah, I, I feel like there is a, an emotional labor that goes with like, I don't know. It's so hard to explain. And it's even exhausting to explain, like you get it, so you understand, but it's exhausting to explain to other people. Why Why do we have to like, <laughs> you said it, like why do we have to do the extra effort, go through the extra effort to like throw on some charm or throw up a fake smile or wear this mask, code switch, um, and do all this mm-hmm. to make you feel more comfortable? Like it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. And you're, and you're right, I've... I have been much more unapologetically black and it's made it I'll say this unapologetically black and also unapologetically myself and combining those things into to one person you know what I'm saying um I think exactly. I think it has been it has been very difficult to work in certain spaces now like I'm recognizing like like I have to work in South Orange County now and like I am realizing like it is mm-hmm. almost impossible for me to work there because like because like I can't I can't be me there. Like and I'm not gonna be, right. I'm not gonna work in a space where I can't be myself. Like why would I do that? Like, yeah, the money's nice, but at what cost? You know what I'm saying? It's 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 just it's just foolishness to me. Like it's foolishness to me. It, it comes at a cost, there's a sacrifice to it. And like I'm not gonna sacrifice myself for a paycheck. I'm not gonna sacrifice myself for the comfort of others. I'm not gonna sacrifice myself. I shouldn't have to sacrifice like me as a as a person for my safety. But I I, I have to do that. Obviously, when we talk about uh, when we talk about encounters with police, we don't need to go into that. We don't need to rehash out um, trauma. No. But I'm I'm just saying like as as far as like these things like in everyday interactions, mm-hmm. what let's talk about even just psychological safety. Of like, I have to sacrifice myself to have like psychological safety, and what I mean by that is like we have to pretend to be somebody we're not to make you feel better, so that that way we feel more at ease, that you feel at ease. You know what I'm saying? Like creating like this safe mental environment for ourselves, and like when I spell it out for you, like when when I spell it out like that, like that that's so tiring. Like that's so exhausting to me, like to even to lay it, it, out. It's you know what I'm saying? It's the extra yeah. mile, like that that the that people around us don't have yeah. to take. Well, I want to be very specific um, why people don't have to take this. Like why people don't have to do yes, this. Yeah. Facts. No, for sure. But even 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 then in in certain spaces and this is kind of where it, it helps is when you're in those, you know, predominantly white spaces, um you, people of, you know, shared ethnic heritage find commonality with each other and often can link yep. together. And I think it makes it a little bit easier because at least then you have someone you're connecting mm-hmm. with. And for some reason, see, people seeing that human connection together, for whatever reason, puts white people really at mm-hmm. ease. And so, you know, I live in Tustin, like Irvine area. And so there are a lot of like Asian Americans. Um, I've seen a lot of Latin Latinx people um, living in those areas and, you know, they're all together and it, you know, makes things, it, is easier for them. And before that, you know, me and my roommate, as far as I knew, you know, I could go out like a whole day and run a whole bunch of errands and not see black Mm -hmm. people. And so I would be the only one in the area and it would, I could feel eyes and I could feel like, you know, people noticing my presence, not in a way of like, Oh, new customer, but Oh, black customer when you walk in a store. And so when I was 
with my roommate and we would interact with each other and we would, you know, we'd have back and forth conversation and people would see us, you know, as lively and fun. And, and we were just going there to take care of our business, just like any other normal existing human being, it would be that day. For some reason, it was a little bit more disarming. And even more when you, I would come across people that I hadn't met before, black people that I hadn't met and to have that, you know, interaction for some reason was disarming to, to those around us. Um, and because we don't, I don't live in an area where that it's heavily populated with mm. black people. I was noticing that even with people from other cultures. As yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't think, I don't think that's, you know, purposeful on their part, or at least I'm hoping that it's not, but I think that's just when you're, when you've kind of been used to that, um, being the norm of like, uh, you know, being suspicious of, of, of someone's motives, especially when they look, look and talk and are built a certain way. Um, it can be sort of disarming too, when you look at them and see them behaving as what you would perceive as, you know, normal, even though they would be perfectly normal if you just let them go about their GD yep, business. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I've, it, and it's funny too, yeah, I've, I've been in areas where like, yeah, it's, you're right, it's not just like white folks, but there's other folks that are just like, just because they got a little pigment in their skin, you know what I'm saying, doesn't mean that that, that, that prejudice and discrimination doesn't, doesn't exist, particularly towards black people. As, uh, yeah. As Angela or I would say, skin folk. Yeah. Skin folk. <laughs> so it's just, it's, um, so I think there's, uh, besides just like the black and white divide, there's like, there's a, I feel like there is a black and America divide. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. there are folks that don't experience the same level of prejudice, racism, discrimination as black, black folks. It's, it, and that's just a fact. It, it really is just a fact. It's not, we're not, I'm not diving into like oppression Olympics here. You know what I'm saying? But like, mm-hmm. Um, when we just look at numbers, uh, statistics and education, he- uh, health, wealth, home ownership, all of these different things, like black people are typically towards the back of the line uh, in all of those things. Right. So, all right. So I don't like um, the oppression Olympics that sometimes happens within different minority groups. Um, if we're keeping it all the way 100, keeping it all the way real, this is America. And um, <laughs> we, America has done a lot of folks dirty. And so there's no real progress when the oppressed and the marginalized fight amongst themselves. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. In the U.S., authority and power ultimately lie with those who have a shit ton of money because capitalism. With that said, I am sharing from a black person's perspective, and historically, black Americans have been, and historically, black Americans have been disenfranchised systemically oppressed, systemically marginalized, and underrepresented. And if you've ha- and if you listen and if you've listened to past episodes before, I've outlined this in all sorts of ways, so I won't do it again here. But so when I say there is a black and America divide, I'm talking about the anti-blackness that exists in America. What is anti-blackness racism? Well, shout out to Marlissa Gamblin for her blog post on bread.org. She outlines this so well. She says that anti-black racism is the name of the specific kind of racial prejudice directed towards black people. Gamblin goes on to say that anti-blackness devalues blackness while systemically marginalizing black people, the issues that affect us, and the institutions created to support us. 
Their first form of anti-blackness is overt racism, which is upheld by the covert structural and systemic racism that categorically predetermines the socioeconomic status of blacks in this country. The second form of anti-blackness is the unethical disregard for black people, as seen in the cases of police or civilian brutality against black bodies. No, I, I feel that there's just, um, but there is like, there's, yeah. <laughs> but when you see like a group, a, a group of them hanging out and they're just laughing, you're like, all right, they're having a good time. We'll keep our eyes on yeah. them though. It's just, <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, that's, oh, that's so nice. They found yeah. each other instead of, <laughs> like, and, and yeah, uh, again, I, I, I'm not, you know, trying to make, make it out to be compared to something. No, yeah, yeah. That's, that gets, that gets nobody nope. anywhere. Um, but just noticing that, you know, in those specific areas, in those places, the 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 most, uh, the lowest common denominator is people that yep. look like me. And so it's, it's usually me in that, you know, amalgamation of. Oh, others. amalgamation. That's a good word. All right. <laughs> Grad school. Um, hey, you know, I got my work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so what do you believe people think about you? I would say I would say I've done a good job of I don't, not making people believe, but being the type of person to where if someone if you were to ask someone about me, they would say that I'm a good guy. I'm genuine. Um, for people who I've had you know maybe deeper conversations with, a good listener, empathetic, um, you know try I try to do right by people and make sure that people feel that I'm you know, invested in mm-hmm. them. Um, I would also say people probably think I'm, you know, some people would think I'm funny. <laughs> um, people would, <laughs> people, people probably say I'm a decent athlete, basketball player, fun guy to be around, um, fun guy to, you know, go have a drink with or go party with, um, you know, pre and post pandemic. And then I'm sure there are some people who, you know, may have had interactions with me where they, you know, see me as fake, not, completely authentic, um, not a nice person, um, impatient, um, kind of uncompromising, stubborn, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just trying to kind of run the gambit of, of it all because I know that my ish does stink. So I'm not, I'm not, the, I'm not perfect by any means and <laughs> well, really yeah. far from well, it. Well, I believe um, you are, so. <laughs> no, well, thank you. You're so kind. You're so kind. It's so kind of you to lie to me. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, I I, I, w- I would go kind of in those ranges. Um, I mean, I don't spend a lot. I don't try to spend a lot of time thinking about it, but I'm sure there are people who are like not big fans mm-hmm. of me. So you don't spend a lot of time thinking about the people that don't are not big fans of you. Yeah, I I try okay. not to. You know, it, when 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 it's presented yeah. to me. Just like, just like with most people, then you're gonna be like, oh wow, like really don't like mm. me. What is that about? Like, what did what did I do? Even if it's not like a, oh, I gotta get them to like me yeah. right now. Even if it's not like that impulse, like, oh, I wonder what I did. Yeah, you know, and kind of kind of ruminating on that. But then, I think I've done a good job of taking that and saying, oh well, I just gotta make sure that I'm better about that with people who are still, you know, in my yeah. life. Uh, well, let me let me ask this, and I you, I think you mentioned something earlier about it, but 
the people that don't like you, and you said you mentioned that you don't want to spend too much time on that, but there, but you did mention earlier that you are trying to care less about the labels that people put on you or the less that about those things. How do those things, how do you marry those two ideas together? How do you like live those two things, those two ideas out? Right. So I can't remember if it was you or if it was maybe Josh Houston, who is uh, another mentor of mine when I was at Vanguard. Um, but so one of you two told me to when when you're thinking about yourself and thinking about the way that people think about you to filter out for these things. Is the information good? Is the information true? And is the information useful? Mm. Um, and those all three don't have to be um, mutually exclusive yeah. to each other. Because information, you know, people can say good things about you. People can say true things about you. And people can say useful things about you. Um, there's... <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> um, but all that to say, you can have a, a good opinion of yourself and even maybe a high, higher than normal opinion of yourself as long as you also know that you there are things about you that aren't always good and that you need to work on. Um, and taking that information from the different spaces and different areas is, is kind of how you, you know, hold that balance. Um, be, and I've been in therapy for like, I want to say maybe two, almost two and a half mm. years now. Um, and so kind of filtering all that out um, of what, what for me is good, what for me is true, and what for me is useful um, to take back into my everyday life and work on or... Um, remind myself of when I'm not feeling good about myself and when I'm, you know, trying to, you know, be my own worst critic and to take, you know, all those different intersections of people's opinion of me and people's interactions with me, people's labels of me, and to try to tear off the things that don't need to be there to to come up with this final um, picture of how people see me. Um, but also knowing that that doesn't necessarily have to immediately translate to who I am. Okay. What has been the work like? You mentioned that you were in therapy. What has been like the mental work that you've had to do, emotional work that you've had to do to like put that into practice? I think it's just the 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 work is in the repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, um because this progress isn't linear. And that's the that's the I think is was the hardest thing for me to learn off mm-hmm. the that's bat. And the hardest thing to like keep uh to keep understanding is your progress is not going to be linear. Because as you get older, you don't stop making mistakes. That's the yeah. toughest part. Is, and you don't stop, you know, there's not ever going to be a day where you can, you know, you know, say, from here on out, I'm not going to hurt anybody else in my life ever again. You don't have any control mm-hmm. over that. And you don't have any control over how that's going to make them feel and how that in turn is going to make you feel about yourself. And so um, having irregular progress where you're taking steps forward and then backsliding way back further than you ever thought you would. And then, you know, slowly making progress and having that back and forth, almost like a tug of war with your own psyche and with your own, you know, personhood. Um, Having someone there who's consistently reminding you that you need to remind to uh, take time out of your day and and work on um, accurately holding yourself in tension um, has been helpful because that's so difficult it's super easy for me to get down on myself if i you know you know mess up you know something at work or um end up forgetting to turn an assignment in down in the dumps i'm you know the worst of the worst 
I can't believe they even let me have a job or let me in a grad school mm-hmm. program. Um, but then I have people around me and going going into therapy and saying those things out loud and hearing how you know how dire I've made a you know a mountain out of a molehill yeah. um, and and letting kind of the kind of grace wash over yeah. myself, giving myself grace and letting someone else um, give my, give me grace. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also, cause I had a, a little bit of a breakthrough in a conversation, um, earlier this week, um, where I was like, I forget specifically what I was saying, but I was not communicating well with this mm-hmm. person. Um, and there were things, you know, about my, you know, I, I always try to, uh, think and choose my words and my, and my sentencing carefully so that I don't say the wrong thing or so I don't, you know, offend someone instead of just letting certain things out and letting a conversation actually develop mm-hmm. and happen. Um, and so I, I, I had to tell the person, I was like, I, I'm not trying to be perfect. I don't want to be perfect, but I'm not, I can't um, continue to, to communicate like this because it's not healthy for me. And I'm not going to live my life to try to make you happy. <laughs> like the, this feeling of oh, yeah, yeah. just like, Oh, it felt it felt so good to 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 actualize that out mm. loud because this person already, you know, with context, that person already. Yeah. Knew. I needed to say it so that I could hear myself yep. say it, and and that brought forth this just like relief, and I literally felt like ten pounds yeah. lighter, um, even though you know I've gained probably like twenty five <laughs> to thirty six points, but it, it's just so freeing. Mm. Um, and so to be able to, to, to say that for yourself and, and sit in that and wash over, let that wash over you, um, I think can be super freeing, Mm -hmm. um, to say that, to kind of get back to labels. Um, these are the things that I care about. These are things that are part of, have been part of my life and my story and my journey, but these aren't who I am. This isn't all of who I am. I can be so much more and I'm going to be so much more whether you want me to be or whether you like what I'm going to be or not. It's, it's, it's what I am and it's who I am. And, and that I think, you know, that can be really freeing um, as long as people are, you know, have a support system behind them to, to, to kind of embrace that. Yeah. 100%. I, I like the fact that you like even, just to actualize that because like it, it's something that you probably have even told other people to like do you're you're very wise you know what i'm saying like i've known you for years now and you're you're very wise oh my god here we go um but the um and so like you've probably given that advice like countless times right you've probably said that to other folks countless times you don't even realize we don't even realize the the emotional weight <laughs> that we carry around with us yeah. um for things like that. I'm acting this way to make you happy, to make another person happy. You don't realize how heavy that is until like you you put it down. Like like the example um that I've given other people that like for anxiety or something like that. It's like it's like you're carrying around multiple boulders all about the, all at the same time. Ooh. And um and you're carrying around things you literally don't have to carry around. Like, why are we walking around with a bunch of rocks and boulders in my hand? Um, and when you, like, look down at it and you're like, wow, I'm really carrying this much stuff. And you put it down and you're like, 
I actually can like stand up straight. I can like walk. I can walk around. I can breathe. Yeah. My chest doesn't <laughs> yeah. hurt. Yes. You know. Yeah. Yes. So I mean, yeah. No, I feel like that's good advice for anybody that's like listening in on, on like you know, what are some things that you were like carrying around that we don't need to like? How are we coming and pre- uh, how are we presenting ourselves to the world? How are we showing up in the world that wants so desperately? so desperately to put us in a box, so desperately to like label us something, so desperately to like use a stereotype to understand us better, whether that be good or bad, right? There's some stereotypes that work oh. in folks' favor, but there is a freedom um, of, it yeah, there's a freedom of being you. There's a freedom of like showing up in this world and like existing as your full self. And and even to go yeah. back to what you're saying is like, yes, the older you get, the more you realize that you you continue to fuck up. Like you will continue to fuck up you, and you will have some really bad ones too. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But I think it's oh the, the, the older you get, um, the wiser you get, the more you learn, all these different things, the more you realize you don't know, but also the more you realize you, you don't have to care, you don't have to hold on to anymore. It's not that you're just getting stronger. It's that you're like letting go of things that are like literally unnecessary to hold on to. Like you are freeing yourself up to do the things that you're meant to do, you're to exist. Like you know what I'm saying? So no, that's a, that's a good word. How? So with that said, um, and I think you were leaning mm-hmm. on it, but how do you show up in this world despite what people think of you? Even sometimes despite what you think of yourself. I think so. I think there are there are days where you just kind of have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of have to. You have to, you know, be able to look at yourself and say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm willing to die behind what it is that I'm, I'm trying to be for myself. This is where I am and this is who I am and be willing to stand behind that 100% um, regardless of how people will look at it. That is the other piece is to, to just to make sure that you are um, surrounded by, by a community that is supporting and, and uplifting mm-hmm. you. Um, in in your uniqueness and in your uh, search to be who you are, um, trying to be yourself, whatever that community looks like. Um, if you have people who are accepting you for for you, and all you know, as hard as it can be, find a community who can accept you for all of you. Um, um, and even if the, your community, it doesn't mean it has to be like sixty people. It could be two people. It could be a person who is there and you continuously work to support each other. Um, but finding that community that makes you feel comfortable enough to step into your own skin um, on a daily basis. No, that's good. Um, yeah, that's good. I think community is, I'm not going to add too much of what onto what you said. Cause I feel like that was, it was just beautifully said. Um, the only thing I would say is like, yeah, community is probably one of the most healing things that, that can be, done for you like true community that is yeah like you said gonna love you care for you support you it's not a transactional relationship right it's a um intentional accountable like kind of care um and love and so um no i i feel that i love that and and i want to i want to say this because i don't want to get it twisted for like folks that are like you're doing dirt and like you just people just need to accept you for doing you like that's not what this means like love is not easy like Brandon has called me, you've called me out plenty of times and I've called you out plenty of times on like stuff that you just need to like fix. Like that's what love is. That's what yes. care is. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of like, the opposite of love is like, I don't like apathy. Like I, like you don't care. Like you do, you mm-hmm. wouldn't say anything, you know what I'm saying? And like, 
people that care about you, people that love you, people that want to see you thrive and, and live are going to say something constructive and work with you and support you and getting and reaching your goals um, within that community. So exactly. awesome. Well, you know what? I've already kept you longer than I said I was and I'm, yeah, oh, no, it's fine. <laughs> yo, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you go. But I, Brandon, thank you so much. Um, for joining me. It's been a long time coming um, for you to be on, on the yes, pod, sir. man. And um, I just want to let you know, I love you. I'm so very, very proud of you um, for everything that you've, you're doing um, in grad school, work, um, even therapy and stuff like that. So keep striving, um, young black man, young king. Um, and always, whatever you need, uh, you know, you, I'm a text away, call away. Um, and I got you. Yes, sir. It takes an incredible amount of courage to be true to who you are and pretending weighs a, a lot of people down. You know, I also think that other people put the weight of those labels and stereotypes on us. And it takes an incredible amount of bravery and strength and again, the courage to unburden ourselves with those things. To embrace the multifaceted human beings that we all are. Like human beings are incredibly complex. Have you ever thought about it? Like we are, so complex, I don't even know what another word. And labels and stereotypes take away from the complexity, the, the nuance, the vastness of who we are. And uh, I spent portions of my life pretending to fit into those stereotypes or labels of what people are trying to make me to be or what it means to be me or even what it means to be black. And whether it was to make others comfortable or for me to just fit in, I am so grateful of where I'm landed. I'm so confident in like who I am and who I'm becoming. And I want the same thing for you. I want you to know that you are dope as hell, that you are enough, that you are more than the labels and stereotypes that others try and put on you. And that's why I'm so proud of Brandon. He's doing the good, hard, and necessary work of becoming him. So keep doing you, B, and I hope y'all keep doing y'all. This podcast was produced by myself, Jonathan Dumas. Additional production help by the incomparable Lindsay Dumas. With music by the oh-so-talented Mr. Tony Deras. And don't forget to like, subscribe, share, and leave a review. It really helps folks discover the show. Till next week, y'all. Peace. <laughs>